Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And I'm Stuart. Some of you may have listened to Stuart's show. I hope you did when I sent you over there to listen to the interview he did with me and Chris about our book. Have I ever mentioned I wrote a book, Mark? Uh, Just about a thousand times, if you could just (laughs) shut up about it, please. Sorry. So, Stuart, before we get cracking, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your show. So you may have heard of me. I am Stuart Blues, the host of British Murders, another true crime podcast like the brilliant Sea in Red. But I focus exclusively on British murder cases. I've done the odd serial killer as well. My seasons, as I call them, are 10 episodes and it's an episodic podcast. So each episode is different. There isn't like a theme running throughout each season. In between my episodes, I do little collaboration episodes like the one I'm going to do with you guys. You can listen to that on my show because this is going out on your show. I always get confused when I do this. And I'm about, I think I've done like 200 episodes now, but I also do interviews. So if you want to listen to some excellent true crime content, some stories and some interviews and the odd collaboration, check out British Murders. Brilliant. Thank you. We're so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. So this week, Stuart's going to give us a script in the style that he would normally present on his show. So if you like what you hear, please do go over and listen to his show. And then we're going to be flipping it around and me and Mark will be presenting over on his show. So I know you'd like to do a couple of icebreakers at the beginning, don't you, Stuart? What, what have you got for us this week? Yeah, so what I do, if you are new to my show, then I'll sort of explain what I do. If you're familiar with it, then just bear with me for this next part. I do two icebreakers at the beginning and the jingles for each of those icebreakers are voiced by my little girl. So the first one is true facts that sound like bullshit and the second one is random quote of the day. Nothing to do with the episode. So the true fact, did you two know, Mark and Bethan, that we went to the moon, if we went to the moon, but that's a different story, we went to the moon before we put wheels on suitcases. Did you know that? I did that, not know that. I'm not that surprised. Doesn't surpri- yeah, that doesn't surprise me, but that's quite interesting. What's the date differences? So the moon landing was July 20th, 1969, and the first patent for wheels on luggage, or suitcases if you want to call it that, was in 1972, so only three years out. I like that. We could um, we could do a whole episode on the moon landing. I feel that is an episode in the making for us if we wanted to do something a bit different. It's not necessarily not true, though, is it? So this is going to be the tricky thing. Potentially a conspiracy. That is true, actually, because we did have Titanic and some of the conspiracy theories around there. Mm. I struggle with whether or not I believe it, because if it is true, I would hate myself for not believing it because these people went to the moon. But the thing that I struggle with is why did we not go back? Why is it now, 2023? It's not that far away. I can see it from a garden. Why haven't we gone? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be fair you can see stars from your garden that burned out a long time ago <laughs> I, know. <so. laughs> I know it is it is quite far but it that's my only issue with it however I really want to believe because I would hate for those people to have put their lives in at risk and then people on the internet say well saw a flag shadow means you didn't go I get you so let's move on to my second icebreaker my second and final one and this again is random quote of the day And the quote is, you've got to expect things are going to go wrong. And we always need to prepare ourselves for handling the unexpected. That was said in keeping with my random fact theme 
by Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon, if we went to the moon. I like it when shows have got something fun. Adam obviously does his Can You Guess the Month and Year. We don't really do anything, do we, Mark? We just talk a bit of nonsense. We have no USP. Yeah, but maybe that is your USP. You just chat shit. (laughs) I think it is. People seem to like it. But the next thing I do as well is when I introduce the location of each story... I do five random, or not random, but quick fire facts about the area. The reason for that is I'm a bit of a a geek when it comes to geography and history. Now, when I say I'm a geek, it doesn't mean I'm a scholar. I'm, <laughs> I know fuck all about these kind of things, but I like learning about history and geography and all this kind of stuff. So it benefits the international listeners also, because if I say, like this week we're in Radcliffe, which is a market town in Greater Manchester. If you live from the UK, you kind of know where that is, right? But if you're from anywhere outside of the UK, it's a bit of a generalisation, but most people think the UK, they think London. How far is it from London? We've all been asked that when we've met someone who's like American, right? Where do you live? How far is it from London? So for reference, if anyone is wondering, Radcliffe is about eight miles northwest of the city of Manchester. So Greater Manchester is the, the county. And it's five or six miles east of Bolton, which Bolton's a town, I believe. I didn't really look into whether it's a town or a city, but I think it's a town. For anyone international, uh, Radcliffe is 212 miles northwest of London, our capital city. So look at a map and then you'll figure out where Radcliffe is. That's the best, best thing to say to you. I'll give you some quick fire facts about Radcliffe now. I always do five. Number one. Radcliffe appears in an entry of the Doomsday Book as Raid Clive, and in the High Middle Ages formed a small parish and township centred on the Church of St Mary and the Manorial Radcliffe Tower. Both of those are Grade 1 listed buildings. Number two, the disused Manchester Bolton and Berry Canal bisects the town. Now, I didn't say dissects, I said bisects. Bisects means it goes basically through the middle and splits it so that it's two even sides. So I guess Bolton and Bury, if those were the two towns in question. Well, it's Radcliffe, isn't it? So it splits it in the middle, basically. That's what bisects means. But when I read it, I was like, is that a typo for dissects? But then I thought, you, you dissect a frog, don't you? You don't dissect a town. But I never heard that word before. Number three, uh, evidence of Mesolithic Roman and Norman activity has been found in Radcliffe and its surroundings. Number four, a Roman road passes through the area along the border between Radcliffe and Bury, or Bury, however you want to say it. And number five, plentiful coal in the area facilitated the Industrial Revolution and it provided fuel for the cotton spinning and paper making industries. By the sort of mid 19th century, Radcliffe was an important mill town with your cotton mills, that's what we're kind of known for up north bleach works and a road canal and a railway network so the north was important back in the day and finally the approximate population of radcliffe this is according to the 2011 census is 29,950 i find that incredible the doomsday book and that was nearly a thousand years ago the 1086 this place is still yeah and this place is still still standing i think that's really interesting So let's jump into the episode if we're ready. I'm happy to proceed and get cracking with this. Do you know what that is? That's a sound you hear every time you make a sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run and grow your business. 
It seems like everyone is starting their own business at the moment and becoming their own boss. I, I really think that's because it's never been easier, has it, to set up a side hustle? Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionising millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling customised phone covers or vintage clothes, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can successfully grow your business. Covering all your sales channels from a shopfront ready point of sale system to its all-in-one e-commerce platform, Shopify even gets you selling across social media marketplaces like Facebook, Instagram and of course TikTok which is massive. My friends are constantly buying things off of TikTok. Full of the industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you the complete control that you need over your business and your brand without learning new skills in design or coding. And thanks to 24-7 help and with an extensive business course library, Shopify is ready to support your success every step of the way. What's great about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, they will be there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. It's time to get serious about selling and get Shopify today. This is Possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk slash seeingred, which is all lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash seeingred to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.co.uk slash seeingred. And don't forget to put www at the beginning, guys. What I'm going to do before I kind of get into the story though, as I am going to give, I know I don't really need to give your audience a content warning, but I'm going to give an extreme content warning for this episode purely because it involves the murder of a baby. And as you can appreciate that made it exceptionally difficult to research. So please continue listening at your own discretion. If this is likely to upset you, then <laughs> I'm not really promoting myself here, but maybe give this one a miss. So the person I'm going to talk about first is the perpetrator of this story called Jamie Lee Chadwick. He was born in roughly 1998 if we work backwards from our timeline. So this is a timeline in 2019. It doesn't always give a specific date of birth when I'm researching my cases just because some of them are not well known or covered. So we kind of have to make that logical assumption. Uh, It's not really too important how old he is, but he was what? 21 i guess so he's a young adult i would call him he's not a teenager but he's a young adult in this so what we are going to do because of that lack of background information about chadwick which is what i'll be calling him by the way for the remainder of this episode i call them by the surname it means we're going to be jumping straight into the timeline having said that here's what i do know about him so chadwick he'd seemingly had mental health issues his entire life He has a mild learning disability, no specific disorder is quoted anywhere, but he also has a history of ADHD, so that is an initialism for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. I don't know what the difference is between ADHD and ADD, by the way, I don't know if either you two know what the difference is. There's no H, I guess maybe the hyperactivity is just the difference, maybe, they don't have such highs as well as... Yeah, if anyone knows, then I'm not coming at this place from a place of malice. I just want to learn. If I don't know, I'm happy to ask. There's also recorded drug usage in Chadwick's past. More specifically, it's cocaine. That was his kind of drug of choice. It's said that he even used to experience auditory hallucinations. Basically means he would perceive sounds without any auditory stimulus 
In layman's terms, he heard voices in his head every now and again. Chadwick had been in trouble with the police on a few occasions during his teens, but not to the point where he was ever sent to prison. So we're talking petty crimes. As far as I can tell, he didn't have a fixed address, but he was originally from the town of Radcliffe, which we've discussed already. So what he did is rather than call a place his own, he had a bit of a tactic, really. He used to get into relationships with single mums and then move in with them as soon as possible. I don't know if either of you are Simpsons fans, but uh, I think it's Lionel Hutz used to have a thing where he used to move in with people and then uh, stay until the money was gone. I've not I've not watched it for a long time, I don't know, but I definitely, I've, I've seen this before, I've definitely seen it from other criminals. Uh, it's uh, almost a, a recognised tactic, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite, uh, hopefully some of your listeners get that Simpsons reference. It's quite an old episode. I don't get that one, but I always um, I seem to be the only person who, if someone says to me, nothing at all, nothing I can't at get all. damn nothing sexy at Flanders all. out of my nothing head like all. Homer. And then I love <laughs> it when people do get that reference because, yeah. yeah, I tend to be the only one at the table doing that. And then everyone looks at me and I'm like, okay. (laughs) Stupid, sexy Flanders. (laughs) Exactly. I get that one. So that was his tactic. He used to find single mums. How he found them, I don't know. But by this 2017, 2018, whenever he sort of did this as his modus operandi, if you like, he probably used an app or just new people in the area that was now single mums and he moved in with them ASAP. In the summer of 2018, Chadwick was in a relationship with a mother of two, but he didn't technically live with her, despite spending several nights each week at her house. Perhaps he had someone else on the side, I don't know, but with this particular person, he used to spend a couple nights a week there. The name of this woman and her children, it's not public knowledge for obvious reasons, but for the sake of the story, we're going to refer to the youngest of her two sons as Baby T as that's how he was referred to during the investigation into the events I'm about to share with you. So Baby T isn't the person who this story is based on, but this is just some background context which gives an indication as to Chadwick's character and what he was capable of when it came to children. Baby T was six months old in July 2018, and it was on the 26th of that month that he was rushed to the hospital. Chadwick explained to the medical staff that he'd suddenly heard Baby T screaming in the next room, so he rushed in and picked him up. The thing is, after being assessed, they were allowed to return home, but four days later, July 30th, Baby T was once again taken to hospital. This time, it was far more serious. He'd suffered a severe brain injury. So what had happened? That morning... Baby T's mum had left the six-month-old in the sole care of Chadwick while she went to the shops. The police became involved at this point and asked Chadwick some tough questions about how the injuries had been caused. At first, the story were put to the officers that Chadwick was alone in bed with the child, but that story later changed with Chadwick insisting the pair were in fact in the living room. The reason for this is he wanted to prevent the police from thinking Baby T had fallen or been pushed out of the bed, which is the logical sort of scenario or conclusion you'd come to if they were both in bed at the time. Rather than immediately calling the emergency services, Chadwick opted to take Baby T to his mum's house. So this injury's happened, takes her to the mum's house as the first point of call. 
it's at that point i'm assuming 999 was called probably by his mum because she saw how much pain baby t was in the first thing you do is get the medical attention mm-hmm. even if you don't think it's that serious so yeah there's a huge red flag straight away with the fact that he's just gone take him around to my mum's rather than try and sort you know try to even just ring 111 and be like I don't know if it's that serious, but what do you reckon? They'll then tell you whether you should go to hospital or not. Don't just rock up to your mum's. I mean, I I remember I fell off a bed when I was a kid. You know, I'm pretty sure my mum and dad took me to hospital. Stuff happens to kids, like you say. But if if you're not innocent, it's natural to want to do as much as you can to make sure the kid's fine, to prevent a call to emergency services, because all that does is open up questions, doesn't it? And that's when you start getting concerned. It reminds me a little bit of, I don't know if you remember this case, Beth, and I think it was one, I might have done it with my sister. Uh, so it was the uh, baby girl, Elsie Scully Hicks, who was adopted yes, was by Craig sister, and Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she was adopted, I think in 2016 uh, by them. And it was Matthew Scully Hicks that was convicted of her murder. And what is so interesting in cases like this, so I think she was under the age of two when she was murdered. And the the authorities and the, you know, uh, first responders, the medical people, they're they're able to ascertain exactly how injuries are caused. So when they get the parent to kind of explain, well, what's happened within the home to cause these kind of injuries, in that case, he explained what had happened and that wasn't consistent with the injuries that she'd suffered. So people don't realise that as well. But, you know, it's pretty easy to understand exactly what went down and, and to nail someone for it. It is. I covered a case recently also, which was similar. So the the child was taken into hospital and the injuries that the mum said had occurred, it wasn't consistent with the injuries they found because there were historical injuries on the child that the mother claimed not to have been privy to. And it's like, what do you think these doctors are daft? They're always going to find it. And this is why, I mean, you don't know what goes through these people's heads that harm children. But to try and cover it up and stuff, it's just, think of the pain the kids are in. Do you know what I mean? By not taking them to the hospital and stuff, it's just, I just it's just awful. The worst kind of cases, so <laughs> apologies for telling you this case, guys. So back to the story. Chadwick would later admit that he was aware of the head injuries Baby T had suffered, but he played dumb when he was asked how they were caused. He was explicitly asked if he had forcefully shaken Baby T, to which he replied, no, I didn't. Medical examinations of baby T spoke to the contrary, so briefly what we've touched upon there. The examiners believed his injuries were consistent with being shaken and that it was likely not the result of an accident. There was bruising not only to baby T's forehead and cheeks, but to his groin area as well. Social services revealed they had the opportunity to call a strategy meeting in August 2019, sort of on the back of this incident, but it never went ahead. The meeting is believed to have been regarding Chadwick's authorisation to have unsupervised contact with children. The reason for its failure to commence isn't something I know, but a representative from social services would later state that the events that took place in October that year, which I'll come on to shortly, could not have been predicted or prevented if that meeting had gone ahead. So that's crucial because the actual story involving the murder occurred a couple of, well, what is it, August, two months after um, this strategy meeting was supposed to go ahead. What they're saying is, 
even if that meeting would have gone ahead, it wouldn't have been able to predict or prevent this murder. So I guess that's them covering themselves, I guess. It's easy to say that, isn't it, with you know what you're going to go on to discuss. It's easy to for them to sort of lay the cards on the table and have that get-out-of-jail-free card, which is what it is, whether it's rightfully a get-out-of-jail-free card or not. But who knows what the outcome could have been if that meeting had taken place. Maybe some kind of sanctions would have been imposed on Chadwick and he wouldn't have been able to spend time unsupervised with any of those children. That would have been the best case. I recently spoke to someone who worked as a prison teacher in Australia, and he said the the motto for the people he worked with um, was duty of care. Care standing for cover ass, retain employment. So to me, the social services are thinking, we need to cover our asses here so that we stay in a job. That's what it comes across as for me. So I think that's quite an interesting way of looking at things in situations such as this. So by this point in the story, reminder, October 2019 is where we're at. Chadwick was in a new relationship with a 19-year-old woman called Chelsea Crilly. She lived on Warwick Road in Atherton, Wigan. Chelsea had a 12-month-old baby girl named Oriana Crilly Sifrova. I hope I'm saying that name right. I think it's a soft C in the, the second of the double barrel. But had separated from Oriana's dad, Adrian Sifra. Oriana was a beautiful, intelligent little girl who was the light of her family's life, especially her father's. She was his whole world. Let me tell you, there's nothing quite like that father-daughter bond. I'm sure the mother-daughter bond, Bethan, is equally as strong, but that father-daughter bond, let me tell you, it's something else. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about little girls and their dads. Yeah, it's cute, isn't it? It is cute. So at 12 months old, Oriana was just on the cusp of being able to walk and was said to have had the cheekiest little smile you've ever seen. During her healthcare visits, which is something that commonly happens within the first sort of year to 18 months, you get visits from your healthcare visitor just to check that the kid's doing all right. It was noted how happy she was, how much joy she brought to everyone around her. So everything's going to plan, right? That's what you want. You want the child to be born healthy first and foremost. And then you want to, your job is to keep them alive, basically, isn't it? Let's not make any bones about it. To keep them healthy, keep them alive, keep them happy. That's your responsibility as a parent, especially in those formative years. Chelsea had been informed by social services and others on several occasions that she needed to be wary of being in a relationship with Chadwick due to his past involvement with Baby T. She was told to never, well not told but advised, to never leave her daughter alone and in the sole care of Chadwick because she was in love, infatuated, whatever you want to say. She dismissed the advice and so that's nonsense, I'm not going to ignore that, don't be so daft. You know, not my Chadwick, he'd never known that. She'd known him and his family for most of her life, so she knew him better than social services, right? Why wouldn't she trust him with Oriana? That's so sad, so she had known him. It's not like this is a new person who's come into her life. You can understand why you would be a little bit blinded by this person you know that's charmed you and you're in this relationship with, you obviously feel that you love and... You can understand why she would be wary of listening to someone like social services, but how heartbreaking that she didn't and that she didn't take those messages on board. It makes you wonder what his history was before that baby tea incident. Like, was he 
an upstanding member of the community? Was he seen as this nice guy? Was the baby tea incident so far-fetched based on what people who knew him thought? Do you know what I mean? There must have been something... Did she know that he was a cocaine taker or not? Did she know about that side of his life? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? He might have kept it in the dark, as so many people would, but it's one of those things that only the people involved know, unfortunately. So what the couple did, along with Oriana, of course, is moved into a flat in 2019 with Chadwick's sister called Aisha Mohammed. She was already living in this flat and those three essentially moved in with her. And it was in that flat that the tragic events of this story occurred. Chelsea was, again, frequently contacted by social services. They were keen to ensure that Chadwick was not in contact with Oriana and more than anything, they wanted to make sure that the pair were not living together. That was just a recipe for disaster. Chelsea insisted that they were simply close friends, and they definitely didn't live under the same roof. So at this point, she's telling blatant lies to social services, which in theory is putting Oriana at risk based on Chadwick's history. She also said that Chadwick was never given the opportunity to be in the same place as baby Oriana and definitely not alone with her. That's what she was saying. We now arrive at October 15th, 2019. Chelsea and Aisha left Chadwick alone with Oriana in the flat while they went shopping. So you can see where this story is going, unfortunately. Upon their return... Oriana was in a bit of a state, as was Chadwick. Chelsea's baby was inconsolably crying and Chadwick was highly agitated and sort of borderline aggressive. He had a real short temper. He would often become moody. He had quite a short temper, but he insisted whenever his red mist started descending in front of his eyes, he'd always remove himself from the situation until he'd calmed down, which in theory is a wise thing to do. If you do get mad, you know, it happens sometimes, kids can trigger you. The wisest thing to do, as long as there's someone to care for the kid while you remove yourself, is to remove yourself, not just with kids, but in any situation. It's wise to always remove yourself from the situation, in my opinion. So what he's saying there is sound advice. It's just not necessarily what he would actually do. Later that day, Chadwick and Chelsea decided to have a bit of a sesh. So we know that Chadwick is is into his drugs, his cocaine. Chelsea clearly partook also. They drank some vodka, smoked a bit of weed, and did a few lines of coke each. All the while, baby Oriana was left in the care of Aisha. All she could do was sit and watch her brother and his girlfriend get high while she sat on the sofa and cared for the kid. I want to point out, I don't think Aisha was getting involved in the sesh. So I think that she was sober, which would be the sensible thing to do. Not that having a baby in that presence is a wise thing, but I think Aisha was sober. The important thing, though, regardless of whether or not she was sober, is the following day, Aisha and Chelsea once more left Oriana in the care of Chadwick as they left and visited a local medical centre. The reason for that visit is not known. But here's the thing. Even if Chadwick was an upstanding guy and didn't have a concern in history, you shouldn't leave a child with an adult who's just had a heavy sesh. I mean, it's just not wise, is it? They're going to be on a come down. They're still going to be agitated. They're not going to be level with the, the brain and stuff. It's just not logical. The really worrying thing, though, is that, yeah, I mean, you know, the day before this session, 
or that day, she's come home to find Chadwick in this agitated state, baby's crying, quite a horrible scene to come home to, probably thinking what's gone down here, what's happened, and then yeah, the next day she's happy to leave Oriana in his company again. It just lacks sense, doesn't it? And this is where love, if it was love, just puts the the blind goggles on you. And you see what you want to see, you dismiss what you want to dismiss, and something that is common sense to anyone looking from the outside in, it just doesn't compute because you've got that fairy tale, lovey-dovey, I call it goggles, but it's just you're blinded by love, aren't you? Especially in the early stages of a relationship. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, it goes downhill from from there on in. Um, But also with Chelsea, we don't really know her full background, I guess. So we don't know what kind of upbringing she had, what example of a mom and dad she had. So, yeah, maybe it was kind of normal to her that that her baby would be left with somebody that she didn't know that well, that she knew was a drug user, that was coming down, hungover, etc. Maybe that was okay in her world and that's all she knew. It's possible. I think that's probably more common than we appreciate also. It's really hard as well, isn't it, not to judge and not to kind of just judge this based off of your own, how you would want your child to be looked after. Because it's so hard to know whether or not, like, I personally am overprotective. And I guess, you know, when we look at a case this extreme, you would think, well, you're not overprotective. But when you think about normal people who wouldn't, harm a child you may not think it's that bad to to pop out to the shops I I don't get it myself and it's it is really hard not to be completely judgy but I am feeling pretty judgy of what are you doing like why are you why are you getting drunk and high with your child there like first of all your child's in the room your sister-in-law-ish like you know your boyfriend sister is looking after your baby for you she's a year old Go look after your own child. Just doesn't doesn't sit right with me, even from the beginning. But I guess you just never expect somebody to behave in a way that's going to hurt a child. It's weird, isn't it? Because if the first time they left and they went shopping, you think, take the kid with you. Like, I know it's hard being a parent and you need space every now and again and you need a bit of respite, but take the kid shopping. Maybe the medical visit, That again, that's probably not wise to take a kid there. But... Was that something, and who the medical visit was for, whether it was Chelsea or Aisha, I'm not sure, but did they need someone to go with them? Could they not have gone on the run? Maybe they wanted emotional support. There's a lot of questions that are unanswered here. I appreciate that. But based on the history of Chadwick and the day before what happened returning home, like you said, Mark, it's just, it looks like a lot of common sense has been missed here. But again, we're not trying to judge people. We're looking at this objectively. And some of it is subjective because obviously, you know, Beth and I are parents. I don't know if you are, Mark, but we're parents. And it's like, we've been through this. We've had kids that age and it's not lacking. It's lacking sense, basically. Yeah, I think I think you kind of look at it and think, well, I'm a reasonable person. Mm. I wouldn't do that. She's doing that. But it's kind of fair to, I think it is fair to judge it to a certain extent. Yeah. So th- that second time when they went to the medical centre, they were only gone for an hour, but... Chadwick was fuming. He wasn't pleased about having to care for Oriana again on his own. I kind of get that from a point of view as he's hung out of his ass. He's on a come down. Last thing he wants to do is watch over a 12-month-old because 12-month-old isn't an age where you can just let them watch a film for an hour or something. They, they kind of need 
constant attention and supervision. From that perspective, I understand where he's coming from, but based on his history, he's probably thinking, oh, God, he's just rising his temper here. In that short window from about 11.15 in the morning to around 20 to 1 that afternoon, Oriana suffered some absolutely brutal injuries at the hands of her mum's boyfriend. Again, extreme content warning for this episode and the stuff I'm about to go through. She was in her pram when Aisha and Chelsea got back at the flat, but Aisha immediately sensed that something was wrong. Inside the pram, Oriana, she was unresponsive and she looked really pale. Her skin was sort of ashen white. And Chadwick told the pair that he'd been on the toilet when Oriana had crawled towards him and accidentally fallen down two steps and in the process banged her head. He assured him that Oriana was just asleep and was not harmed by the fall. Aisha wasn't happy with that explanation and exceptionally not happy with how Oriana appeared to be inside the pram. She did the logical thing, called for an ambulance, and they arrived just before half two that afternoon. Chelsea encouraged Chadwick to disappear into one of the bedrooms to prevent any of the medical staff from seeing him. Remember, she's telling the social services that he doesn't live there. So if if they spot him, that's just going to open up another can of beans. In the moment, I get why she did it, but grand scheme of things, your priorities should be elsewhere, really. She was clearly concerned about those lies she'd been telling them, but she even lied to police by telling them it was her who'd been on the toilet when baby Oriana had fallen down the stairs. So she's trying to take the blame for this guy as well because she's taking Chadwick's word at face value. She couldn't see the wood for the trees. She insisted her boyfriend had no access to Oriana. She was adamant that he was not responsible for what happened. I just think it's amazing that she's prepared to take the blame for this accident just to prevent any backlash from social services. I find that absolutely amazing, personally. She's really not looking at this from, like you said, objectively looking at the big picture, is she? She's just in that moment thinking oh, I don't want to get caught out lying about one little thing. She's not realising the impact. And she's she's also prioritising Chadwick over her daughter. And she's able to think really clearly and logically at this time, which would be quite a traumatic time because your baby is unresponsive, pale, you're worried, you've called an ambulance or whatever. And she's thinking, right, you need to hide in the bedroom so they don't see you. We need to kind of think about the story. So what happened? Okay, I can say that that was me on the toilet when it happened. And she's got all this clarity of thought with that. And really, I think any any maternal mother would be more stressed, panicking about their child. Yeah, it's a bizarre one. But so what? When the emergency services are at the flat, they're doing all they can to try and help Oriana. Because remember, she's at this point, she's basically unconscious, right? So they're trying to help her recover, keep her stable and just save this poor little girl's life. They did all they could at the flat and they took her to Royal Bolton Hospital where some doctors could assess her condition. They concluded that Oriana required specialist treatment, which could only be given at Royal Manchester Children's Hospital. The specialists there tried their utmost to save Oriana's life, but she sadly succumbed to her devastating injuries at 6.19pm that night, October 17th. Apologies, it was the day after. 6.19pm on October 17th, the day after she was rushed to the hospital. The result of her death was at the time stated as being catastrophic and unsurvivable head injuries. 
Home office pathologist Dr Charles Wilson visited the flat to assess the height of the steps that Oriana allegedly fell down. That assessment isn't public knowledge, but based on my knowledge of UK flats, I've lived in them in the past, the steps were likely from one level to another. So say you've got your living room, right? And it's got a a kitchen, like an open plan kitchen. Sometimes you might have a step or two to take you up to that either landing area or kitchen area, right? Yeah, it's not going to be much more than a couple of feet high. However, for a baby, it's still pretty decent, isn't it? It's a decent yeah. height, yeah. It could Probably, do damage. You know, nearly her height almost, you'd imagine, wouldn't you? Like if a, a baby stood by two, a 12-month-old is stood by two steps, it might come up mm. to like their shoulder maybe or something. So it's, however, what I will also say is they're quite, I don't know right, I don't know the technical term, but they're quite bouncy and they're quite robust when they're learning to walk they fall down they bump into things they don't tense up like an adult would so when they fall they tend not to be as badly injured as you would genuine when they first have those first few falls it's you think it's going to be a much much worse than it is as a as a worried parent and they can you know be very uninjured by things that you would think would be quite bad but yeah, a two you know two steps is still a decent fall potentially if they just go head first down. Think of it this way: I'm six foot one, right? So if if Oriana falls down steps that are her height, it'd be like me falling down from a height of six foot, let's say, which is quite a height, right? So the other thing to remember is that babies have sort of soft, pliable bones to a degree, so. The reason I mention that is that it takes some force to cause devastating injuries to a baby because they're going to fall down. When they learn to walk, they fall all the time. They bump themselves. They have, God, they have that. I don't know I don't know if you know what it's called, Bethel, but that little spot on the top of the skull, that stays soft until they're like yeah. two or something. And their bones are really bendy as well. You, you're unlikely to it's very unlikely for a baby to break a bone. This is why it's always they're, suspicious. They're very bendy still. Yeah. It's why it's so suspicious if they've got a broken bone. Yeah. There's a lot, like you said, a lot of force has to be put into something like that to cause an injury. Yeah. So this is what Dr. Wilson said of Oriana's injuries. This is a quote. There has been at least two heavy, heavy impacts of trauma to the skull. I strongly suspect this was caused by her being picked up and projected against a hard surface. That used to be called shaken baby syndrome. When that happens, one might see that the subdural hemorrhage is thin. What we have here is lots of areas of thin hemorrhage, but we have a thicker head injury. We also have fractures to the skull that could not be caused by shaking. It's not possible that she fell down two steps. Moving on from that quote and that assessment, we come on to the post-mortem examination results which revealed the true extent of Oriana's injuries. The back of her skull was fractured in two places. She had a fractured vertebra in the neck and two of her ribs were also fractured. It's thought the ribs and spinal injuries were non-accidental and likely occurred in the days leading up to her death. So this poor baby is already in agony and this is before the incident that happened on the actual day that she died. So you can understand then that she was probably quite whingy, um, like 
being in charge of someone else's baby is quite difficult anyway or even your own child especially if they are in like a whingy or an agitated sort of mood so then him being already in his own bad mood you can understand how having a child who's in pain so going to be crying a lot more she's not going to be her happy usual little bubbly self that you described before you can understand how that would have then encouraged his annoyance with her as well heartbreakingly yeah what a tortured young life she'd endured as well you know days weeks however long this has been happening but of just abuse and neglect it's heartbreaking to think yeah it's the the end is horrific and tragic of course but it makes it all the sadder knowing that in the certainly the days leading up to her murder she yeah she was in pain and she was probably agitated and upset and confused as well it's almost a perfect storm right because kids can't speak properly until they're sort of two-ish right they can't really walk at that age they can't defend themselves but they also can't much like it's a bad comparison but much like an animal if an animal is abused like a dog for example it can't tell on you no it's exactly the same they're at the same sort of ability to be able to explain anything and to be able to communicate and the same sort of size as well like you can understand like the injuries that people can inflict on an animal as well like it's so similar this next part is is particularly hard to hear so just be prepared in a frightening description of oriana's injuries it was put on record that the force required to cause the injuries was comparable to those caused by someone being involved in a high-speed car crash or a fall from a multi-story building Oriana was likely either stamped on, struck powerfully with a blunt object, or swung against a hard surface or object. My God, this is, it's so hard to hear, isn't it? It, It's it's terrible. Now, thankfully, Aisha told the police the true story of what had happened, which led to both Chadwick and Chelsea being arrested. Initially, Chadwick was arrested on suspicion of a Section 18 assault, also known as grievous bodily harm, but was subsequently arrested on suspicion of murder when the extent of Oriana's injuries became known. Chelsea admitted that she had lied to the doctors when Oriana was initially taken to the hospital because she feared having her daughter taken away from her by social services. So she almost feared that more than potentially losing her daughter. She also naively didn't believe that her boyfriend could ever harm Oriana. How wrong she was. During his initial police interview, Chadwick said on the day in question, he was at his mate's house in Bolton. So there's more lies to the story. During further interviews, he went back on that claim and admitted to being at the flat, but insisted that Oriana had fallen down the stairs. He also, disgustingly, tried to pin the blame on Chelsea by claiming she had told him to say he was at the flat when, in fact, it was her that was there. So seeing himself as some kind of martyr, Chadwick said he was happy to take the blame because he loved Chelsea dearly and didn't want her life to be ruined. So at first, he's got Chelsea to take the cover for him while he's hiding away in a bedroom, but now he's actually trying to pin the blame on her and say that, no, it was her that's responsible. How sick is that? The thing is, I mean, what what's awful about doing a true crime podcast, and, you know, you've done loads and loads of episodes, as have we, 
you do sort of you hear some terrible uh, excuses and lies and you hear some ones that kind of make sense and and actually this it, as awful as it is it makes total sense that he's going to blame her of course he's going to do that because he's thinking i need to sacrifice her to save myself i'm the most important person in my world mm-hmm. so it doesn't really matter who has to be the fall guy as long as i'm okay so i get it it's awful but yeah of course he's going to do that yeah, it's just self-preservation, isn't it? Selfishness. So following her death, Oriana's family said this in a statement. Oriana was just 12 months old, learning to walk and talk and starting to develop her own little personality. She had the cheekiest smile with the biggest brown eyes, a combination that melted our hearts and wrapped us around her little finger. Oriana was a daughter, granddaughter and great-granddaughter and the void she leaves can never be filled. On October 22nd, Chadwick and Chelsea appeared at Manchester Crown Court via video link from their respective remand prisons. Chadwick was informed of his single charge of murder, whilst Chelsea was informed of her single charge of causing or allowing the death or serious harm of a child. Neither entered a plea at that point, but an audio extract can be heard online in which a sobbing Chelsea asks Chadwick, did you hurt her or not? So this kind of brief video link appearance at court can be found online or extracts of it can and that you can tell that she's come to the realization that he might have actually done this and she's asking him you know through tears did you hurt her or not that hearing was uh, overseen by judge stockdale he ended it by saying this has been a preliminary hearing only i have set a trial date for march 23rd next year so that would have been 2020 and I've set a timetable for the exchange of documents between prosecution and defence. There will be a further case management hearing on February 7th, and there are no further directions today. If we just go back to Baby T briefly, it's weird because the investigation into Baby T's injuries was dropped in December 2019, so a couple of months after that initial appearance at court via video link. No further action were being taken against Chadwick or any other individual, and the case was not brought up in his trial for the murder of Oriana. Which is a little bit weird, right? Because we know that something went down there, but I think the logic behind not including it was they they wouldn't want to they wouldn't want to influence the jury. I'm guessing that's why they didn't include it. I, I get yeah, it's weird though, isn't it? It's weird that they would drop that investigation, but I guess they're just sort of thinking, well, this guy is gonna be potentially going down for murder so is that charge important is that investigation important shall we just kind of divert all of our resources into this investigation so that we can really get him sentenced to life in prison but yeah it's 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 peculiar it happens quite often i think the when a case goes to trial they want it to be just specific to that case without undue influence from outside things but it, it happens quite often The trial ended up beginning on October 7th, 2020, rather than in March, which is probably due to the COVID-19 pandemic. You'll remember the first lockdown for us was in March that year, the 20-something, 26th or 29th, I can't remember. Prosecutor Peter Wright, QC, now Casey, told the jury at Manchester Crown Court, this was a sustained and violent fatal attack on a quite helpless child. In inflicting those catastrophic injuries on Oriana, Chadwick had at least intended to cause her really serious harm. 
The defendant continued his lies over the two days of brutal cross-examinations and insisted he had not struck Oriana. The next shocking twist came when Chadwick again tried to pin the blame for Oriana's injuries on her mum by saying he had witnessed Chelsea giving the 12-month-old a sidekick, which he said sent her flying. That's his words. You wonder if he was admitting what he'd done and just put Chelsea in his place instead of himself, because that's kind of a way of unburdening himself, but also pinning the blame on someone else, isn't it? Yeah, because that would that would be consistent with the injuries that she sustained as well. So of course. he's kind of thinking, yeah, if I just say that that was her, not me, it's going to sound plausible. Yeah, yeah, th- that's what he's done, 100%. He was asked about his fiery temper when he was cross-examined. His reply was, when I get irritated, I do get angry, but I control my temper and I walk out, which is kind of what we touched on earlier. So he's sticking by what he thinks is the right thing to say. On October 30th, the jury returned to the court after deliberating for five hours. They unanimously found Chadwick guilty of murdering Oriana. Chelsea, on the other hand, she broke down in tears when she learned the jury had unanimously found her not guilty of causing or allowing Oriana's death. What are your your thoughts on that one? Do you think she should have received some kind of conviction there? Yeah, I think uh, she's incredibly lucky. However, we know about baby T, the jury weren't told. So actually, um, if they don't have that prior knowledge, I guess I understand where they're coming from. I think that she did allow this and she did behave negligently. Yeah, it makes you wonder if the jury were informed that Chelsea was persistently told by social services to watch out for Chadwick because that came on the back of the baby T stuff, right? So if that was withheld from the jury all they would see is a partner who trusted her her partner and left him in charge of the girl. That's all they possibly saw. Wouldn't be difficult to have a good defence team to paint the picture of a loving mother and she absolutely may have been a loving mother. But yeah, somebody who had trusted her partner and uh, that trust was brutally betrayed. But yeah, I just kind of, I really struggle with it. I think she's she's incredibly lucky to have got away with that. But you've also got to look at it. She She's lost a daughter. So whatever kind of person she was, you can't take that away from her. And you can really see the grief, can't you, come through in that pre-sentencing hearing, for example. Yeah. It's almost like it's really hit her now. And she's, yeah, you know, really sort of, there is remorse there and there's regret at allowing Chadwick to look after Oriana. Mm. And that is a good point that no matter what, whether she was sentenced or charged for anything, she's lost her child and ultimately she, yeah, she's paid that ultimate price. So it, it almost, her punishment to herself now is going to be her consistently blaming herself and feeling guilty for the rest of her yeah, life, I should she's imagine. she's got to live with that. I don't know if she'd have potentially even been that bothered if she had been found guilty and sentenced to prison. I don't know, when you've lost a, a daughter at that age, you probably just don't give a fuck. You know, your life is over anyway. So mm-hmm. it might not have been the be-all and end-all for her. Yeah, I mean, Chadwick got a life sentence. Obviously, it's mandatory here for murder. That was on November 2nd, uh, 2020. His minimum term to serve 18 years. So according to the law pages, he's up for parole or is eligible to apply for parole on October 29th, 2038. In a closing statement, Mrs. Justice Yip said, 
Only you know what happened when you and Oriana were alone in the flat. You have given three untruthful accounts. I accept that you did not plan to kill Oriana and cannot say that you intended to kill rather than to do her serious harm. However, set against that, even after you had calmed down, you did nothing to seek medical help for her and you even tried to deter others from checking on her. It's very hard to understand why you lost your temper to the extent that you did within such a short time. Your mild learning disability cannot offer an explanation. So that indicates perhaps part of the defence was his sort of mental health history on there, which is ultimately being dismissed as irrelevant. An inquest into Oriana's death ended on April 14th, 2020 at Rochdale Coroner's Court. It concluded that she was unlawfully killed. During that inquest, which was three weeks long, it was revealed that social worker Michael Peacock had inaccurately recorded Chadwick's non-contact order with Oriana. So, apologising for this major blunder, Michael said, This was my mistake. This was the mistake I have thought about every single day since I heard about Oriana's murder. I opened up the referrals from everyone when writing my assessment. I was typing it up and it said no unsupervised contact on the GMP referral. Despite this, coroner Catherine McKenna concluded that Wigan Council could not be held accountable for failing to sufficiently protect Oriana. Her death was not a failing of the system itself, rather it was the result of one man's incomprehensible actions. And that, guys, was the story of the murder of Oriana Krilly Sifrova. I don't know whether that's going to encourage people to come over to your show, Stuart, but thank you for joining us this week on ours. And hopefully, if and people liked listening to Stuart, please do go and check out his yeah. show. There are sad cases. They're all sad. Murder cases are all sad. But my hope is that it's put across in a way that's respectful. There's a little bit of a tension breaker at the start and my personality hopefully shines through. If you're not keen, just don't listen. It's fine. You don't have to leave me a shitty review, though. <laughs> Please, just don't listen. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Or if you want to come over and listen and join the community, then please do. Thank you for joining us on our episode. Bye, everyone. Bye.